We open the Word of God this evening to the book of Psalms. We read Psalm 63. Psalm 63. This is the word of the Lord. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Every one that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Thus ends our reading this evening. The text for our sermon is the first two verses of Psalm 63. O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see Thy power and Thy glory, so as I have seen Thee in the sanctuary. And notice also the heading of this psalm, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Our text confronts us with a question. For what are you thirsting today? Now, children, don't misunderstand me. I'm not asking you what sort of drink you would like me to bring you right now, whether it's a cup of water or some apple juice or whatever else. When you read in this text about thirsting, don't think about thirst with your mouth and with your tongue. Think instead about thirsting with your mind and with your heart and your soul. We are always thirsting for something. That is how God made us. And that makes the question that this text puts before us a very important one. People give a variety of different answers to that question. Some people thirst for personal gain. And so they might try to fill their need by accumulating great wealth for themselves. Or by getting all sorts of power 
being willing to run over anybody who stands in their way as they strive to reach the top. Other people might thirst for personal pleasure, and so they desire autonomy, the ability to decide for themselves what is right and wrong. They might seek satisfaction in sleeping around with whomever they desire, or perhaps in traveling and seeing the world. But what is your answer today, people of God, and what is mine? What is the believer's answer to this question? It goes without saying that none of the answers that we just considered is the proper answer to the question. We ought to ask ourselves that in the week of self-examination to come. For what am I thirsting as I approach the Lord's table? Our text gives to us the proper answer, the believer's answer to the question. In a word, God. We long and we thirst for our God. Let's take that as our theme, therefore, tonight. My longing and thirsting for God. Looking first at the object of my longing. Secondly, the intensity of my longing. And third, the possibility of my longing. My longing and thirsting for God. The object of my longing, the intensity of my longing, the possibility of my longing. The object of our longing, as the text states it, is God, my God. David confesses longing for God, and we confess the same. And he addresses God using the common name for him. The name that denotes that he is God alone. He is ruler. He is sovereign. He is creator. He is the one that nobody could ever possibly challenge. And now, to that most glorious God, David says, Thou art my God. And here the emphasis changes a little bit. Now the focus is on the fact that God is powerful. He is the God of strength, the God of might. To that God, David says, Thou art my God. Especially God reveals himself as that mighty one in the person of his Son, Jesus Christ, through all of his amazing, powerful miracles and the powerful, mighty work that he has accomplished for our salvation. David is saying this, The sovereign ruler of all that is, the great and glorious, majestic God, that God, he is my power source, my strength, my might. He is my God. That immediately puts the doctrine of the covenant on the foreground in this text. The covenant is the relationship of friendship with promises that God establishes between himself and us. The relationship of friendship with promises that God establishes between himself and us. First, it's clear that there's a relationship here. The psalmist says that God is his God, and that obviously implies that the psalmist is God's child. There's a familial tie here, a relationship going on. That's always the language of the covenant in Scripture, isn't it? God says to his people, I will be your God, and you will be my people. There's a relationship. 
We'll say more about this a bit later, but note also the reflection of the relationship in David's longing. Look at the end of verse 1. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee. He longs, he thirsts for his God. That's the language of someone who has a relationship with someone else, who loves that other being. Secondly, this text brings out the fact that God is the one who establishes the covenant relationship with us. We do not establish it. He does. The fact that God is my God presupposes that. I never chose him to be my own. He chose me first, and it must be that way. On account of his own pure love and mercy, he is my God. And the names for God that are used here bring out the same thing, the names that we already considered. How could the God, who is Lord, who is sovereign, who is creator, how could that God ever be indebted to me? How could the God, who is majestic, who is powerful, high and lifted up, how could that God need to wait on me to choose him first? Exactly because God is who he says he is, he alone can establish the covenant. And then third, this text shows that there are promises in the covenant. Verse 2 says, David is longing to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. He longs to see the power and the glory of God. And God promises to us as his people that we will see his power and his glory, which is to say that we will come to know him more deeply. What a blessed reality this is. David knows himself to be God's son and God to be his father, God to be his God. And we know the same for ourselves. We confess with David that we have that same relationship with God. We too are friends of the Most High, that majestic, glorious, almighty creator, sovereign, and Lord. He is our friend. Young people, children, do you ever feel as though you do not have many friends at school or in general in this life? If that's true of you, then take heart from these verses. Even if you have no other friends, you are the friend of God. The greatest friend anyone could ever have. Why God? It might seem that David would have reason to long for other things more. Understanding the historical context is important here because David is on the run. If the heading of Psalm 63 is accurate, and we don't have any reason to believe that it's not, then David wrote this psalm while he was on the run in the wilderness of Judah. He was likely running from Saul or even from his own son Absalom at this time. But in either case, he is fleeing from those who are trying to take his life. You can read of that history in Scripture in First and Second Samuel. 
1 Samuel 23, for example, records David fleeing from Saul into the wilderness of Ziph. And on that occasion, verse 14 of that chapter indicates that he had to, lay, he had to remain there in the wilderness for some time. It was in that circumstance, or another circumstance similar to that, that David penned the words of Psalm 63. He probably felt alone, cast off by his friends and his family. In 1 Samuel 23, he did have 600 men with him, but the reality is that he was a hunted man. People wanted him dead. He was in the wilderness, undoubtedly running out of food, running out of drink for himself and for all of his supporters, however many there were. Given those facts, wouldn't it make sense for David to long for something else instead? He has great needs from an earthly and physical point of view. He needs food. He needs water. He and his men are going to die if they don't get it. He needs shelter. He needs warmth. And then, too, he would probably have enjoyed more popular support. He would have wanted more men on his side. He would have wanted his family with him. So why long for God? This is a reflection and an outworking of that same covenant relationship that David had with his Lord. The Lord was David's friend, the one who had established that friendship with him and who promised to give to David a deeper knowledge of him. That is the highest and the most blessed friendship or relationship anyone could ever, ever have. How then could David want his earthly friends and family more? David knew that having God is better than life itself. That's why he says in verse 3, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. On a related note, though, we may also say that David knew his need. To be sure, he needed food and he needed water. He was in the wilderness and he would die of thirst or of starvation if he did not get these things, just like anyone else. And yet, he recognized that his spiritual needs were far greater than his physical. He knew that if he died without God, that would mean, or rather he knew, that if he did not have God, then he would die. And it would not be mere physical death, a quick death by thirst or by starvation. It would be eternal death in hell if he did not have God. And so, above all of his physical needs, he expresses longing for his spiritual needs. He longs. For his God. He was not just concerned about his body, but he was concerned about his soul. There are many different things that people might long for and do long for today in this life, as we have already seen. We need to reject the approach of the world that makes these things idols. But it might seem that we too would have all sorts of other needs that would take the preeminent place. 
Perhaps you're going through a period of great financial strain right now, having trouble just making ends meet from week to week. And is not money a great need in that circumstance? Perhaps you or your loved one might find yourself or themselves sick, lying on a hospital bed at the point of death. And in that circumstance, is not health a significant need? Perhaps you long for a spouse, and so your tendency is to pray earnestly, above all else, that God would give you a husband or a wife. And is that not a good desire? Of course it is. So why long for God? By God's grace, just like David, we have friendship with God. Jehovah God is our covenant friend. How then shall we say that we need or that we want even a spouse more than we want and we need our God, our covenant friend? And by God's grace, just like David did, so too we know our need. Our greatest need is nothing physical. It is salvation from our sin. How then shall we say that we need money for our financial hardship more than we need and long for God? How shall we say that we need healing from our sickness more than we need and long for our God? No. We, believers, long and thirst above all else for our Lord. And we long for him with intensity. The meaning of longing, as it's found in our text, is love. David's longing is an expression of his love for God. The believer's love for God is his or her deep desire to know and serve God which comes in response to God's love, which is always first. A deep desire to know and to serve God in response to his love. That's the believer's love for God. God's love is always first. It has to be that way. We would never love God except that he first loved us and changed our hearts so that we might love him. Our love is only a reflection of his love for us. But all the same, it's a true love. We truly do love our God. That is, we have this deep desire to know him and to serve him. David had that sort of desire. And that comes out in our text in multiple ways. In the first place, David says that he will seek God. In verse 1, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. And the word that's translated there really has two separate ideas. On the one hand, it means to seek early. The word is related to the word for the dawn in the original language. And so the translation could probably be even stronger than what it is. We might say something like, I will seek thee at dawn, or seek thee at first light, perhaps. From the moment of the rising of the sun, David says, I will be seeking my God. 
But then secondly, this word has another connotation, which is to seek intently. And that really is the focus in our text. David searches God out. He is not content merely to know a little bit about God. He wants to know everything he possibly can. He intently seeks him, desiring always to know God more. Secondly, David writes that his soul thirsts for God. Verse 1 again, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee. One of the biblical words for love really has this as its meaning. It is to pant after, and thus to thirst, to long for the other. That is longing. That's great desire. Just as our bodies need water to survive, and your body shows you that you need water by way of thirst, so too David's soul needs refreshment in order to survive. And so his soul thirsts for his God. David's soul showed him the desperate situation, how great his need was. Without God, he would die. Psalm 42 was probably written at the same time as Psalm 63, or else during a very certain, a very similar set of circumstances in the life of David. Psalm 42 expresses this same idea. Psalm 42, verse 2. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And then third, David writes this at the end of verse 1. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. In a sense, that's very similar to what we just considered when he says that his soul thirsts for God. But this does add a couple of noteworthy points. David's body also longs for God. The point, therefore, is that the whole person of the believer longs for God. David says, with my whole being, I pine after this Lord. And then, in addition... David's circumstances underscore his longing. Recall the context a moment. David is in the wilderness, the wilderness of Judah. And it's there that he writes these words. He says, I am in a dry and a thirsty land where no water is. This is a land of drought, a place with sun and sun, and more sun, and very little rain. He says, this is a land where no water is, or more literally, where there is failure of water. Water has failed here. The streams have run dry. The ground is baked and cracked. All of the plants are dying. This is a land of extreme drought. David, looking out at a literal desert landscape before him, makes that the imagery for the state of his soul at this time. We may apply all of these things to ourselves. In the first place, God's love is always first. We may never get the idea that our love for God precedes his love for us. 
That's not the way it goes. This rules out any form of Arminianism or semi-Pelagianism, which would have us choosing for God first. We only love him because he has made us to be his children, just like David. Secondly, though, seeking God early and even seeking him at dawn is part of the believer's routine and seeking him intently. Morning breaks, and we begin the day with God through personal devotions. The child of God loves to seek after God, even in the early hours of wakefulness. And when we do that, we seek God intently. Just like David, we're not content to know God only a little bit. We should not be satisfied with that. Remember, this longing for God is love for him. When you truly love someone, you're not content merely to know them in a surface-level sort of way. What truly loving husband is content with knowing the bare minimum that there is to know about his wife? A truly loving husband wants always to know his wife more. Neither do we stop at knowing God only a little bit. Instead, we seek him intently and we desire always to know him more. Perhaps this idea brings some of us to shame today. Shame as we recognize that we have let our personal devotions grow lax. Or that we, even though we have been doing them, so often have our minds elsewhere and we are not seeking God intently as we do our devotions. But if that's you today, if you find shame in light of this text, then let's be encouraged. Encouraged to start anew or to reapply ourselves, rededicate ourselves to truly seeking God intently as we do our devotions. We always have to fight our old man from the moment that we wake in the morning if we are going to begin our day this way because he knows that it sets the tone for the whole day. Our souls, just like David's, also thirst for God. Again, water quenches physical thirst. Apart from water, humans can only survive for a matter of days, three or four days perhaps. Our souls, apart from God, are dried up and dried out, and they are parched, and they are in need of spiritual refreshment. And the only beverage that can satisfy is the living water of our Lord Jesus Christ and of his gospel. It is in him alone that we can find something to slake the burning thirst of our souls. Without that life-giving water, we die. Children, have you ever seen what happens to your lawn when it does not rain for a long time? The grass gets all brown and it shrivels up and it dies. That's what happens to our souls when we don't get the living water of Jesus Christ. They shrivel up and they die. 
and we turn to other things to try to find our needed refreshment. We've already taken note of some of the things that people might turn to, wealth, power, and all the rest. But we all know that none of those things will ultimately satisfy us. As the church father Augustine once said, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. No matter what beverage you might sip on for a while, you will never find relief for your burning thirst anywhere other than in God and in the gospel of his Son, Jesus Christ. Verses 5 and 6 bring that out. My soul shall be satisfied when I remember thee and meditate on thee. That is when I find satisfaction, when I remember and meditate on God. And we see a visible representation of that gospel of Jesus Christ at the Lord's Supper. You know your thirst. And when you come to the Lord's table thirsty for the gospel, thirsty for the satisfaction that God alone can provide, at that table we have a sign and a seal of the only way to relieve that thirst, the body and the blood of the Lord. Like David, we too live in a desert wilderness, a land of spiritual drought where no water is. Remember, children, what we said earlier about our lawns? What happens to them when it doesn't rain for a long time? They get all brown and dried out and shriveled up and they die. That's what this world is like, spiritually. It's a land of drought. It's dried out. There's no moisture. This sin-cursed earth is a place where there is failure of water. All of the streams have run dry. All of the reservoirs are empty. There's simply nothing here for us in the world's solutions to our soul thirst. They can't do it. We long, with our whole being, we long for something more. And so, like David did, we cry out for God to fill us to satisfy our hunger and our thirst. Again, that's what personal devotions are. They're us going to God's word and finding satisfaction for our longing, hungry, thirsty souls in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We also find satisfaction in the preaching and in the sacraments the means of grace. As we say in the Lord's Supper form, Christ satisfies our hungry and thirsty souls as surely as we eat the bread and drink the wine at the Lord's table. Our longing, as we said earlier, is both to know God and to serve God. And in the Lord's Supper, 
or rather in the sacraments, we see an answer to both of those things. We have satisfaction for our longing of both knowledge and service unto God. In the means of grace, we find knowledge of our God, especially in the preaching, as it sets forth who our God is. And then, in the sacraments, as well as in the preaching, we have instruction on how we are to serve our God, how we might express our gratitude to Him for His love. And in the Lord's Supper specifically, we find satisfaction for our spiritual thirst in the reality to which that bread and wine point. And then, too, the Word of God quenches our thirst when others bring it to us in the midst of trouble. That might be a faithful pastor who goes in and out among the homes of the congregation and brings the Word. Or faithful elders who minister to us in our needs. It might also be a friend, someone who knows us well and who knows what we are experiencing and who loves us enough to bring the word of God. That too satisfies our thirst. David had that. If you look back at 1 Samuel 23, when he was in Ziph, the wilderness, his good friend Jonathan came to him and strengthened his hand in God. 1 Samuel 23, 16. David's purpose also brings out the intensity of his longing for God. In verse 2, David says that his purpose is to see, his purpose in seeking and longing for God is to see God's power and his glory. We consider both of those in turn. God's power first. God's power, or omnipotence, simply defined as his ability to do whatever he pleases. He must have that ability. If he does not, he ceases to be God. He must be able to do as he pleases. But why would David desire to see that power? Well, consider the historical context once more. David's on the run, and he's fleeing from those who seek his life. And in the face of those troubles, he says that he longs and thirsts for God in order to see God's power. That's the point of the end of the psalm. In verses 9 through 11, we read of the confident expectation, the hope of David. Verse 9, But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. Verse 10, They shall fall by the sword, be a portion for foxes. Verse 11, The mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. God showing his power to David will come out in the defeat of all of David's foes. But more importantly, David wants to see God's power as the God who delivers him from his spiritual foes, the God who defeats his sin. In verse 3, he speaks of God's loving kindness, which is God's mercy, as better than life. God has mercy on poor sinners, and that too David sees in the sanctuary, and now he longs to see it again. Much the same thing is true for us. On the one hand, we desire to see the power of God in the face of the foes 
of the church who vaunt themselves against her and assault her day by day. The enemies of the truth hate those who promote that truth, and thus they do everything that they can to silence the truth, whether it be by enacting restrictive laws through the government or by violently attacking true believers and those who spread the gospel and in other ways besides. And to be sure, we see the power of God and we desire to see the power of God in his defeat, his putting to shame of these foes of the church. But in addition, and ultimately, more importantly, we of the New Testament era see this power of God in the person of God's Son. What is the greatest foe of every believer? What is yours and what is mine? It's your sin and your sinfulness. It's my sin and sinfulness. We need deliverance just like David did. The spiritual enemy of our sin and sinfulness makes us guilty before God, and we do not have the power to deliver ourselves. But Christ does. As true God incarnated, he took our hell and thereby delivered us from death. The second part of proper self-examination is that we examine whether we believe that we are redeemed for the sake of Jesus Christ, that all of our sins are forgiven for his sake, and that his righteousness is imputed to us. And thus, our longing for God in order to see his power is our longing that he would save us powerfully. And he does that. And in light of it, we strive to serve him in thanksgiving. That's the third part of self-examination, isn't it? Whether we purpose henceforth to show true love to our God, to walk in true love and peace with the neighbor, to serve the Lord. David did. In light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, David strove to serve his God. That comes out in the context. Verse 4, Thus will I bless thee, while I live. Verse 8, my soul followeth hard after thee. That's David striving to serve his God. But secondly, the purpose is to see God's glory. That's again in verse 2, to see thy power and thy glory. God's glory, we could define this way, all of his infinite perfections radiating from him. That comes out because the next verse speaks of God's loving kindness, which is his mercy. And God's mercy is one of his attributes. The glory of God is his attributes radiating from him, his perfections, his attributes. Have you ever seen the sun shining down through a gap in the cloud where the sun is mostly covered up but there's a hole in the cloud cover and so you can see these individual rays of light piercing down 
through the cloud. And there's this brilliant contrast between the gray of the cloud and the bright shining of the light. In a limited way, that illustrates what we're talking about here with the glory of God. His infinite perfections radiating from him. They shine forth like rays of the sun. And they proceed from him in all of his outgoing works. But why would David want to see that? We've looked at why he wanted to see God's power. Now, why God's glory? The reason is that to see God's glory is to know him. Part of what we desire in our longing for God. Remember? Our longing for God, our love for God, is our deep desire to know Him and to serve Him. That's true because God's glory is His perfections or His attributes as they radiate from Him. And God, we say in theology, is His attributes. You remember the story when Moses said to God, Show me thy glory. And God took Moses And he put him in the cleft of the rock and then passed by him. And what did he do? He said his own name. And his name was a list of his attributes. They are who he is. And so to see God's glory is to see him as he is. What a comfort that would be to David in the wilderness. To see God's glory meant to see him as just and as omnipotent and as merciful and as wise and all the rest. What a glorious comfort in the face of the troubles that David was enduring. And the same thing is true for us. In all of our troubles and our trials, we long to see God's glory. We long to see him as he is. And in that way, to find comfort and satisfaction in the face of all of our troubles and all of our longings. That glory, just as with God's power, we see most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the King of glory. He is the one before whom all the nations at the last will bend the knee. They will bow down. And every tongue at the last day, whether willingly or in spite of themselves, the tongue of every person will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Seeing this glory of God, we join David in saying the words of verse 3, Thy loving kindness is better than life. We know him all the more, therefore, And all the more we strive to serve him. What's the possibility of that? The possibility of this longing? On the one hand, it's prompted by prior experience. These are things that David has seen in the past. That comes out in verse 2. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. We can note four different things with regard to that phrase. In the first place, David is making a comparison. He's looking at the similarity between these two things. As I've seen before, now I long to see again. But secondly, he's making a comparison. He's 
showing the difference between these two things. That comes out because the word for having seen is a more limited form of sight. And the word for longing to see again is a more comprehensive form of sight. And so David says, As I've seen in the past, now I long to see in full. Third, though, he still puts the emphasis on the fact that he has seen. The word order brings that out because literally the two phrases are switched around. Verse 2 more literally says, So as I have seen thee in the sanctuary, I long to see thee again. And then fourth, David says that he has seen God's power and glory in the sanctuary or the holy place of God. It was especially in public worship that David saw God's glory and his power. Given the historical context, David has been unable to go to the tabernacle for corporate worship of God with the fellow saints, probably for many weeks, as he has been stuck hiding out in the wilderness. He feels the weight of that, and he longs to be back there in the house of God. He is, we might say, spiritually homesick for the church. Once again, there are applications for us here. As we have seen God's power and glory in the past, we now long to see again. But now, we long to see in full. And so, in the face of all of our troubles in this life, our hope is not ultimately in this life. It is in the next. It's in the glory of heaven, where we will see in full. And then, too, we see this power and glory of God more than anywhere else. Right here. In the sanctuary. In God's holy place. The church. In the church, we have the means of grace. The preaching and the sacraments. And here, in a more prominent way than anywhere else, we get the privilege of seeing and hearing of the power and the glory of God. When we are away from the church for a time, therefore, like David was, we feel the weight of that, and we long to be back. Have you ever missed a Sunday of church? Whether because you were out of town, maybe on vacation or something, or because you were sick all day and couldn't go to church, or maybe you just sinfully skipped, and then afterward felt spiritually thirsty, maybe even sort of felt gross. There's a reason for that. The reason is past experience. We know that it's in the church, more prominently than anywhere else, that we see and hear the power and the glory of our God. And so we long to be back. Ultimately, though, the possibility must be the grace of God. Because we would never long for God of ourselves. Nobody would. And we could not otherwise be God's people. Man is sinful, and he does not long after God. My old man despises God with every ounce of his being. I would never long for God of myself. Like the wicked world, 
we, by nature, would seek after other forms of satisfaction for our thirst. And so we would not call God my God. And in fact, we could not do so. But we have salvation at the cross. We have the crucified, risen, and ascended Lord indwelling our hearts by his Spirit. Apart from that, I would never long for God. But having been changed by the gospel, we no longer long for the things of this life, for the pleasures of this earth. My strength, my power source, my might is not in those things. It's in God. And so I long for him. I thirst for him. He alone gives me satisfaction in all of the longing that I experience in this life in the spiritual desert that is this earth. And having been changed by the gospel, God is our God, and we are his people. And so we return to where we began, to the everlasting covenant of grace, which is based on the blood of the Lamb. We see again our relationship with God. He is mine I am his. Friends love each other. And so we long and thirst for him in this land of drought. Do you long for that? Ask yourself that question in the week of self-examination to come. And by God's grace, we can say that we do. We long and we thirst for the things of God and indeed for God himself and for the gospel of his Son. And filling us with the knowledge of himself, God satisfies our thirst, even already in this life. But that just makes us long all the more for the glory of heaven. Because there, this will be the reality for us. Revelation seven, sixteen and 17. They shall hunger no more. Neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we long for Thee, and we thirst for Thee, and for the Gospel. We give Thee thanks, because we know that we would never do so of ourselves. Father, Thou art so gracious and glorious and wonderful. May the praise and the honor and the glory that comes from our lips, come also from our hearts, and may it never cease. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ alone. Amen.